Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you are in fact here, that you are present and you want to hear our hearts and you want us to hear yours. So God, I pray that right now, if there's anything in, in this room, whether seen or unseen, that would inhibit or prevent us from hearing your voice or knowing your heart, seeing your face, we pray that you would remove it now in the strong name of Jesus. And you would prepare our hearts for an encounter with you, the living God and the lover of our souls. We pray these things in Christ's name. Well, that song that you just heard was actually uh, created by your very own worship team. It was kind of born out of this series. So if you could just uh, join me in saying thank you to them for letting their gifts be a gift to us. Thank you, guys. At Central, we've got a, a few values that we use to kind of frame and guide us as we go on our journey together. And that are these, that we are people who are with God, people who are in community, people who are on mission. And kind of the, the clarifying statement for with God is that we're cultivating habits for a dynamic relationship with God. Cultivating habits for a dynamic relationship with God. And dynamic means that there's an ebb and flow, that there's a rise and a fall, that there are peaks and valleys. And many of us, we know what habits to engage when we're having great days with God. We know praise, we know gratitude, we know celebration. But some of us get stuck when we say, how, how do I engage God on the, on the bad days? How do I pray? How do I cry out to God on the worst days? How do I lean into him in that space between the dark, which is crises and tragedy, and the dawn, which is when circumstances finally shift and take a turn for the better? As we've been going through this series for these past two months together, many of you have been sharing your, your transition struggles with me. I had a family come and say, um, the company that we work for is shutting down their local office and... We're threatened with having to leave our dream home. It's heartbreaking for us. We don't know what to do. Others have said, you know, I fought tooth and nail to, to kind of scramble and save a dissolving marriage, and I wasn't able to do that. I got served with papers, and I, I, don't, I don't know which way is up. Many of us have had heartbreaking stories of losing a family member or having the loss of somebody that we love threatened through a disease or through a crisis. And we're doing anything that we can to get our head above water. There are others of us who feel like we're facing an ever-losing battle with a hurt or a habit or a hang-up that's just continually prompting and tempting us towards self-destructive choices. And we're having a hard time figuring out where to go and what to do next. And so today we're going to ask this question, how do we engage God in the struggle? And the suggestions that I have for you are these, that we are people who learn to feel fully to start screaming and to keep clinging, to feel fully, to start screaming and to keep clinging. I want to look at an example of a prophet that we have in Scripture. 2,700 years ago, Jeremiah, a prophet of God, is declaring God's judgment to Jerusalem. He explains that the people there are out of alignment with God's will and have wandered away from God's heart. And as a result of their arrogance and rebellion, God is threatening to destroy the city that they care about most deeply, Jerusalem. As you can understand, Jeremiah's message was not received with a lot of fanfare. We pick up the story here in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. When the priest Peshur, son of Emir, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying or preaching these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten 
and put in stocks, you know, like those wood bars, the holes for your hands and your feet, at the, upper gate of ben, at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Peshur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Peshur, but terror on every side. Sorry, I forgot to call for scriptures. If you need a copy of the scripture, raise your hand. Our team would be more than happy to give you one. So the curse of the prophet is this. You obey God, you say what he tells you to say, and then things get worse. You preach the perfect sermon, you have a clear message, you have fiery passion, dynamic illustrations, and then people beat you up and throw you in jail. And Jeremiah is learning what it means to feel fully in the midst of that. Jeremiah doesn't shy away from the depth of his emotion. He lets it all out. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He goes, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. Another translation there is that you persuaded me. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is like a, in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Jeremiah is expressing the full range of human emotion. He's saying, God, you, you persuaded me. You manipulated me. You forced my hand. And I feel victimized by my creator. I feel mistreated by my audience. I feel exhausted by my mission. And I feel hunted by my friends. Make no mistake, Jeremiah is not having a bad day. He's having a brutal season. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you know that he's kind of preaching this message that is perpetually rejected for close to 40 years. But then he says this in verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So you read that first section, you're like, oh, Jeremiah's in a spot. And then you read the second section, you go, oh, he's turning the corner. He's shaking off the despair. He says, in spite of all this, I know God is with me. I'll praise him. He defends the righteous. He helps the needy. You're like, okay, catch my breath. We're going to be good. But then in verse 14, he says this, Cursed be the day that I was born. I'm like, well, that was, a, that was an unfortunate turn of events right there. That's kind of a hard shift to the left for Jeremiah. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew with pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and end my days in shame? Jeremiah goes from saying, sing to the Lord, let's have a praise party to I wish I'd never been born. The dominant theme of my life is trouble and sorrow. And contrary to popular belief, things are going to get worse from here. My life is going to end in darkness. Now, 
If I got up right now, or if Craig Reese got up next week and said these words, if we like paraphrase Jeremiah's service and said like, hey, um, I'm really grateful for my time here, but the truth is I wish I'd never been born. I feel like God set me up. I'm tired, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm enraged that God allowed me to live at all. My life was a mistake. This might not be worth it, and things are going to end badly for all of us. If that happened, you would likely stage an intervention. And you would say, he is not in a good spot. Uh, this person, at worst, this person is no longer fit for ministry. At best, he needs a leave of absence and some very intensive counseling, right? But Jeremiah is the most spiritually mature person in the room at this point. He was only being honest with God and with himself and with his audience. This is not a rant that accidentally got recorded. It is an example. It is a model, a template for how to feel fully with God. The author Frederick Buechner says, The main job of the teacher is to teach gently the inevitability of pain. To teach gently the inevitability of pain. Many of us come from spiritual backgrounds where we sanitized our pain with trite platitudes. It wasn't appropriate to vent or verbalize the way that Jeremiah did. I had a conversation with a friend this week and she said, when I was five years old, my mother passed away. She goes, then the, the overwhelming sentiment, the dominant message that I remember receiving from people in my church was this, God's on the throne. He's got this. It's going to be okay. Now, of course, in the big picture from the 30,000-foot view, those are accurate theological statements. But is the sovereignty of God is still intact? Is that, is that what a five-year-old needs to hear when she's grieving the loss of her mother? Well, no. What she needs to hear is, this is horrible, and it's entirely appropriate to be sad. I remember reading a book of a behavioral psychologist, and she said that she took her infant to the pediatrician for immunizations, and she said as soon as her daughter got the shot and started to scream and cry, her maternal instinct kicked in, and she immediately said to the baby, it's okay, it's okay. And the very wise nurse next to her said, no, it's not okay, but it's okay that it's not okay. And what she was saying is, let her cry, it really does hurt. But hurt is part and parcel with life. And if we can embrace it, rather than always trying to run from it, as Craig so aptly described in last week's message, where he said that there should be no escapism, when we finally embrace and can lean into the reality of what's happening, those are the moments when God can meet us. And we have the courage and the audacity to fully feel what is happening in that moment. Frederick Buechner says, Christ's love sees us with a terrible clarity, and he sees us whole. Jesus already sees us from every possible angle. We are not fooling him when we hide our hurt. And the beauty is the scriptures teach that when Jesus came to walk this earth, when he came uh, as fully God and fully man, he experienced the full range of human emotion. He experienced joy and sorrow and grief and anger and betrayal and abandonment. Jesus felt all of that. And I believe that what he wants to say to many of us this morning is it is entirely permissible. In fact, it's even recommended that we feel that too. Because he's not intimidated and he's not surprised and he's not unnerved when those emotions wash over us. So a primary step to surviving the space between the darkness and the dawn is that we allow ourselves to feel fully. 
what is happening in these seasons that we are in. And then the second recommendation is that we express those feelings to God. So if the first step is to feel fully, the second step is to start screaming. Start screaming. There is a biblical model for expressing, expressing our frustration to God. It's primarily found uh, in the Psalms, and there's also an entire book of the Bible written after it, Lamentations. Lament goes off script. Lament breaks protocol. Lament kind of leaves behind the pretty and appropriate church prayers for this raw and visceral expression of what's going on right here. When I was in college, I had a friend who said, I hit a bump in the road at a very difficult time spiritually. He goes, I didn't even have any words to pray what was going on. I had no words to pray what was going on. And that line has haunted me for like the last 22 years since I first heard it. And as I reflect back on his quote in light of what we're talking about today, I say maybe he did have words to express exactly what was going on. But maybe nobody ever gave him permission to say those words to God. Maybe those words were right here. And he just didn't feel like he had permission to let them fly out. Our family went to Saugatuck Dunes uh, about a week and a half ago. We, would, like, we did the dune rides. Well, you know, we got a little car. We went out the dunes, and our guide was great. He goes, there's going to come a point where we go on a downhill and there's going to be a feeling right here. That's called a scream. He goes, it's okay to let it out. That's what, that's what Jeremiah is saying. This scream, not of delight, but of like angst, you need, you need to let that out. It's good for you, and it's honest with God to get there. So maybe you have words that you're just, you're stifling here. And today you need to know that you have permission to say them, to scream them, to collapse on your kitchen floor and yell at God. This is uncharted territory for many of us. But there is a, actually a biblical prescription for lament. A good yell at God actually comes with an outline. And I was in a course with some friends, this group called uh, Discipleship, kind of experience called Fuller Formation Groups. And this is a resource that they gave us to understand what the flow of lament looks like. Here are the parts. When we learn to lament, there is an opening address, and we can find examples of this in the Psalms. There is a complaint. There is a petition of trust, a confession of trust, a petition for help, and then the vow of praise the vow of praise. If you look carefully, you'll notice that the prayer of lament, a structured scream at God, is kind of like an inverted bell curve. It's a journey into a valley. You say, dear God, things are very, very, very bad, but I want to trust you. Will you please help me? And then when we feel God's presence, we can say, okay, God, you've come through for me. I, I'm going to praise you, both now and in the future. So here's an example that the Course gave us of kind of walking the journey of lament as it is presented in Psalm 22, a very famous psalm. It has this, op the address is this opening greeting, and in this particular instance, the opening greeting says this. It says, my God, my God, my God, my God. I don't know how you start your prayers. Some of us say, dear God, or we say, almighty Father, or if you're like a civic event, you say, benevolent creator. We use words that we'd never use in ordinary conversation to describe God because we think that's the right answer. Sometimes the address is just, hey, you. Um, and some of you say, well, you can't call God that. Well, I would argue that you can, and that if you want to have an honest relationship with God, then perhaps you should. 
Then there's this complaint. This is the announcement of things having gone wrong. Psalm 22 says it this way. It says, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? If you read the Gospels at all, that line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound vaguely familiar? Who prayed that prayer? Jesus Christ prayed that prayer. What has he done? He is capturing the language of lament in a very desperate set of circumstances in his own life. So there's this address. I know you're out there. Here's what's wrong. And then a confession of trust. We acknowledge that I have nowhere left to turn. I've been reading a book called Hallelujah Anyway by an author, Anne Lamott. And she's a person who knows well her own journey of recovery. And she said this. She goes, God loves rock bottom. Recovery, we talk about like when everything else in my life has fallen apart, I've, I've hit my rock bottom. We hate rock bottom. She says, God loves rock bottom. Because when we bottom out, we're finally willing to tell God and others the truth. And the confession of trust in Psalm 22 says this, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our ancestors, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. You'll see that word, and yet. 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 Yet is that word that we put in the space between complaint and confession. Yet is that singular bridge that carries us from the darkness to the dawn. Then there's this petition, asking God to come through for me in my time of great need. It says, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. God, I desperately need you now. If you don't come through, I'm lost. And then finally, there's this vow of praise. Promise to praise God no matter the outcome. It says, from the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You've heard that line, when God closes a door, he opens a window. You ever notice that sometimes God takes his own sweet time between those two moments? A friend of mine, Trey Little, says, he goes, when God closes the door, sometimes we just have to ask for grace to praise him in the hallway until something else happens. And I believe that that vow of praise is what can sustain us, which is why our time gathered here together, why I'm so grateful that you've made time to be here and so grateful that so many of you join us or participating with us online because we're doing what? We're creating a space where together we can, we're all coming from our respective life circumstances where things are challenging, where things are hard. And when we come together, we say, we're, we're still going to praise. We're still going to lift up the name of God. We're going to lean into the future that he has for us. We're going to do it together. Some time ago, I had an opportunity to try this exercise of actually using that template to write my own lament. And I had been going through a challenging set of circumstances, and there was a part of me who's like, I would really rather not do this, but in order to honor the group and the journey that we were all going on together, I made an attempt. Here's what I came up with. Hey, God, uh, you know I'm not one to rant, but life has jumped the rails of late. You never told me the bridge was out ahead, so I just kept blissfully barreling down the tracks. Now I'm shell-shocked and sore. I am dazed and disoriented. I'm trying to find my way out of this still-smoking, twisted wreckage of steel, the carnage of severed dreams and hemorrhaging aspirations. Did I do something wrong? Did I miss a signal somewhere? Am I being punished for some years-old misstep? If I am, just tell me. I can take it. But if not, this is unconscionable unwarranted, unnecessary, unforgivable. 
Critics, rivals, and haters dance around the six-foot hole that I'm staring up from. It's not right. And I labor in vain to find any slice of this that is redeemable. Do you have a plan? Like, was, was there any forethought you put into this? Did, did you have an off day? Did I fall off your radar? Or did you just forget to show up? I kept screaming out to dispatch for some form of backup. All I'm getting is radio silence from you. It's getting lonely out here. And yet, and yet, and yet, somewhere behind the veil, a Redeemer lives. It's my Redeemer. Somewhere in this fog, you stand. And you stand with me, near me, for me. There is not a season of sadness you have not extracted good from. So even, it's only, even if it's only a whimper, I'll say it again. And maybe against my own fractured perspective, I trust you. Heal me. Stretch me. Vindicate me, clear my name, glorify yours, confirm my call, validate my cause. Just because I don't know what you're up to doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. So I'm putting a pin in this praise. I'll thank you in advance because something good is coming from you the giver of every good gift. I posted my lament where I was supposed to. In the next couple days, my friends read it. A few days after that, I got an email from my friend Bob who said, dude, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, I am now. You know why? Because it is cathartic to put speech to the raw emotion that is hiding just beneath the surface of our lives. There is something powerful in saying it out loud or just writing it out and getting it in black and white. Those of you who are on the recovery journey, those of us who have a backstory with Celebrate Recovery, you know that one of the values there is that we get kind of prompts, we get discussion questions in our books if you're in a step study, and we write out the answers. We write them out. We just don't like generically feel. We specifically state what is going on. And that allows us to become in tune with what we're thinking to what we're actually feeling, and it allows us to start screaming to God and articulate what's actually going on. If you've never done that, I would challenge you to carve time to do it. Just get a journal. Maybe you, maybe you even just want to like record a, a memo on your phone if you need to do it when you're driving and say, God, just no holds barred. This is where I am. This is what's going on. I know you're out there, but I don't know what you're doing because things are unraveling. I want to trust you, but I, I need you to show up so that I can praise you again. The first step to kind of surviving the space between is that we feel fully whatever it is that's going on, that we start screaming, we give voice to that feeling, and we confess that to God. And then finally, we keep clinging 
Just keep clinging. Keep hanging on to the person of Jesus. You wrap your arms around his feet and don't let go. One of the great declarations of hope is found in the story of Job. And if you don't know the Job story, you know that there was this guy who was an honorable man. He was a man of character. who was following God with everything that he had in every way that he knew how. And all of a sudden, everything imploded. And when I say that he lost everything, I mean everything. He lost his job. He lost his net worth. He lost not one, but all of his children. He lost his marriage. He lost his health. And the bulk of the book is a conversation that captures his terribly unreliable friends who keep trying to blame him for his life circumstances. But in all of this, he found his and yet. He found his and yet moment. We read this in Job chapter 19. He says, oh, that my words are recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in a rock forever. He wants these words to be captured for posterity's sake. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, he's not candy coating any of this, is he? He's like, my, my flesh is going to be destroyed. And when that happens, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, whether on this side of eternity or another, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Capture that again. Job, in the midst of all of his chaos, is saying, I know my Redeemer lives, and when the dust settles, I will see him standing victorious. And the fact that he is there is enough. Here's what I love. Job does not say, here are all the things that I don't know, because that would have been an infinitely longer list, would it not? He doesn't say, I know why this is happening, because I don't. I don't know when this is going to be over, because I don't. I don't know what tomorrow exactly is going to bring, because I don't. Here's what I do know. I know my Redeemer lives. That's it. And I am holding on to that with all 10 of my fingers and most of my toes, white knuckling that, because right now that's all I got. But that's going to be enough. Who is your Redeemer these days? Who are, you, who are you leaning into for hope, or stability, or healing? It might, even, it might not even be an actual person. It might be a what. It might be an idea. But may I be so bold as to say that if you are leaning, if you are clinging to any redeemer other than Christ in the midst of your crisis, you will be disappointed now or later. If you put all of your weight on that crutch, it will splinter on you at the most inopportune time. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he's going to stand victorious on the earth. And then I want to echo the words that we heard from Ethan earlier in the service that says, I know who my Redeemer is and then say, I know why I am going to hang on to him in the space between. Because Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 say this, the spirit of the Lord is on me. These are words that Jesus would claim for himself when he started his ministry. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What happens when Jesus bursts onto the scene? What happens wherever Jesus bursts onto the scene? The poor get good news. Broken hearts get bound. Captives get freed. Prisoners get released from darkness. Like, what darkness are you drowning in these days? Because Jesus came to release you from it. There is comfort for the mourning, there is provision for the grieving, and there is a great exchange that we give God our ashes and he gives us beauty. We give him our mourning, he gives us joy. We give him our despair and he gives us praise. And again, Isaiah's not in denial. He's like, hey, guess what? There are prisoners, there are captives, there are ashes, there is mourning, there is despair. Like nobody's saying that we have been extracted from that world yet. But in the meantime, Jesus enters into that space and says, let me be who I am. Let me do what I do. So here's what I, I want to give you. I want to give you a gift of time. Because in theory, what I would usually say to you is, hey, carve out some time later today or on Monday morning and just have an honest conversation with God. But I know as well as you do this, that most of us, never, that thought like never survives our time in the lobby. So I want to just kind of create some space for you to do it right now. Just a few moments. I'm going to ask um, Nate and the rest of the team to come up. And they're just going to lead us quietly, just give you time to collect your thoughts um, in the time of reflection. But if you have an emotion or a situation that you keep trying to run away from, I want you to just give yourself a few moments to feel that emotion. If it's joy, feel joy. If it's anxiety, then verbalize that. Say, God, I'm really anxious, and I'm anxious about these very specific things. If it's fear, just name it. If it's rage, say who you are directing that rage towards and why. And if you're somebody who wants to come down to the altar and do it here, then by all means come. If you need to say it out loud in a higher volume, the, the loading dock is open for anybody who, you can go to your car and close the door and scream yourself hoarse. Because that's what God wants you to do. So whatever motion is bubbling up to the surface, just let the doors open and let that, let that out. And then name it to God. God, I confess I am feeling sorrow. I confess I am feeling anger. I confess I am feeling disappointment. Just say it. You don't have to scream it loudly, but from your soul you can scream it. And then when it's done, the team's going to sing the song that they wrote. Just the refrain that captures that I know my Redeemer lives. I know in whom I have believed. I am choosing trust in him now. I am reiterating my petition before him now. I am making a promise in this moment and in all the moments to come that I will praise him because his goodness is not challenged by my chaos. So God, meet us in these moments. Allow us to just lower our defenses Please, Lord, by your power, just chip away at the bitter shell we've constructed around our hearts and get us back to that raw place of candor with you so that we can move forward. So that we can say, I know my Redeemer lives and we can mean it from our gut, not just from our brain. We pray these things in Jesus' perfect and mighty name. 
Amen. I love it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say I feel no fear anymore. It says fear kind of orbits around the edges of my life. It is a natural emotion that I will feel, but I know that I'm not a slave to it anymore. Spiritual maturity is not rooting emotion out of our lives. It's taking those emotions when we feel them and bringing them immediately to God. Say, Lord, I feel fear. I feel anger. I feel frustration. Will you, will you show me how to hold that? Will you show me how to carry that? It's not rooting any trace of emotion because God's desire is not that we become like soulless robots. His goal is that we, are, we take all of our emotions and we submit them daily to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that we feel them fully in a way that lets us look like him. So let me uh, just pray a blessing over us as we get ready to dismiss. But one last announcement, baptisms are coming up August 20th. If you have never been baptized as an adult, I wanna strongly encourage you to do that because what is it? It's a statement that my redeemer lives, that my redemption comes from and through the person of Jesus Christ. No one else, nowhere else. And we're doing it publicly on the beach in the state park so that we can let all of the gathered nations know that Jesus Christ is alive and well in Holland and at Central. And we're allowing you to share your stories with people who have not yet heard them. So do us a favor. This is, this is, not, this is not an empty ritual. This is an act of celebration and mission. Baptisms lets people know I'm with God, I'm part of a community, and I'm on mission. And the reason I'm doing it publicly is so that anybody who's walking by, even random strangers, could know that Christ is alive and that what he's done for me, he can do for them. So, my brothers and sisters of Central Western Church, may God give you the grace to feel every emotion fully. May he give you the freedom to scream when you need to. And may he give you the strength to hold on to him with everything you have. Amen. Thanks so much. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.